This is so, so. This is the pandemic, huh? All of us just hiding in our closets and basements. <laughs> all right. Look, I've been a freelancer all my life. I have worked out of my own solitary office, but I will say that this is a new and advanced form of isolation where kind of the whole week has become this kind of liquid moment that just doesn't seem to end in any way. Um, it hasn't become the shining yet. Not yet. No, but I will say that uh, I have, I, I now have the cleanest cellar in the neighborhood, which is saying something because we all have clean cellars now. Welcome to The Well. I am Brandon Edgens. Anson Mount will be joining us directly. Our guest today is American author Jack Hitt. He's a contributing editor for Harper's Magazine, New York Times Magazine, and for This American Life. He's written for Wire, GQ, Rolling Stone. And we are very, very, very honored to have him join us again two years since he was last on the show where we made some predictions about how the next two years were going to be. And uh, he's back with us today to, uh, well, see how we did. It's two years later, Jack, and how is your basement now? Uh, well, it's back to its usual clutter. So, yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a brief moment of sort, sort of like after a wild weekend, you, you end up cleaning up your room or something. It, uh, <laughs> and then the things kind of just degrade back to where they were. And that's, yeah, I'd say seller-wise, I'm, I'm back to, you know, pre-2020. Uh, how about y'all? Uh, well, I didn't, I don't have a seller, so it, it's nothing changed. Uh, uh, Anson, how is, how, how is your organization? Well, we had just moved to Connecticut, so we hadn't had time to, to develop any real clutter. Uh, and you know, we're spending half our time in Toronto right now. So we've mm -hmm. managed to, to manage to, to keep it uh, somewhat clean, but I, I'm remembering back to that moment of us recording. I cannot believe that it was two years ago. Time has just done this weird, weird skip jump thing. Uh, but I remember that, yeah, we were, <laughs> you were in your cellar. I was in my closet and Brandon was in a different closet in my house because we were using two separate systems. Yeah. Well, this is a quick intro here. Uh, uh, today, we are pleased to have Jack Hitt back on the show, who sat down with us back in early April of 2020, early April, to make some predictions about the emerging pandemic. Uh, and at the time, Jack posed this question in late March of 2020, when the worldwide death toll was around 150,000. No crisis happens and life goes back to normal. You know, if you look at New Orleans after Katrina, it didn't go back to being New Orleans pre-Katrina. If you look at America post 9-11, we did not go back to America pre-9-11. You just, you absorb certain changes and you live with them. The question I want to ask is like, what are we going to adjust to after this? That was over two years ago. And now the worldwide death toll is over 6.2 million. And we're going to play clips from two years ago and see what we got right, what we got wrong. And I wanted to get the most important issue out of the way first. And this is uh, the first issue that came up when we first, that Jack brought up back in 2020. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with this one first. It, 
was toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> what is our problem? <laughs> well, that know. is disgusting. We are. What, I, I mean, I expected it to be bullets, <laughs> but no, no, not even bullets competed with the toilet paper hoarding that went on for that first ten days. I don't know what that says about us. I'm, I await the cultural anthropologist to sort of paw through these preferences and, 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 and make some sort of determination. But whatever the conclusion is, it ain't going to be pretty for Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jack, did you ever get to the uh, bottom of this issue? <laughs> no, but I, but I, but I, do, <laughs> I do know there's been a surge in bidet sales in America. So um, I, I, I do remember that like there were there were sort of cultural aspects to what people hoarded around the world. Right. Like the, the Italians have hoarded pasta and the and Greek people were hoarding feta cheese and you know, <laughs> Spaniard chorizo. It was just sort of Europeans all went for food, you know, things that comfort food, things that ha- gave meaning to their life. <laughs> and the fact that Americans went for toilet paper. Uh, you know, it, it cannot be uh, explicated. I don't think it's too horrible to even contemplate. <laughs> but I will say, like, that's over, right? I mean, we're all we're all back to normal levels of toilet paper consumption. Am I right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. And maybe, hopefully, we've uh, we're maybe using less of it now. If, if, if what you said about the day uptake is true, then uh, maybe we're less toilet paper now. I don't know. I haven't seen the sales, uh, but it does bring up hygiene, which was the, kind of the first thing in everybody's mind, right? You know, right. at least our minds, mm-hmm. it was, it was, you know, toilet paper. And then everyone became obsessed with all kinds of hygiene. What's going to happen to the handshake? I mean, who would you shake someone's hand now on the street? If I introduced you to no. them, you would not, no. you would not. And I think in some ways as a culture, we are learning the, the, the real benefits of scrubbing in. I suspect, I mean, maybe we start bowing or maybe we just do that like six foot dance that everybody does at the dog park around here. Do you think that maybe touching your face will start to become socially unacceptable, sort of like picking your nose? I wonder how it will affect like just the common cold. I, I'll bet a lot of those diseases are gonna really decline now. Yeah. And they did. Yeah, I I have not had a cold or flu in over two years, my friend. And and I think they're I think they're like legitimately statistically down. Uh, the flu was not has, has was not nearly uh, what it usually was. I don't know the numbers, but yeah, I mean, I think we we are kind of cleaner. Maybe that toilet paper did come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> in the handshake, I I yeah I. Very occasionally, if it's if it's if it's somebody who uh, is close professionally, and but even right. as I'm doing it, I I question should I have offered a handshake? Are they comfortable with it? Other than that, it's yeah, it's fist bumps and elbows or just saying hi. Totally, you know, a family stopped by uh, a couple of days ago. Their daughter had just graduated from uh, Yale, and we all met in the yard and stood six feet apart, even though we're all vaccinated. No one has had any problems, but we just kind of nodded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean the hand. Yeah. I think in many circumstances, the handshake is at least dead. 
for for now. Maybe it'll come back. But, you know, every time there's one of these little surges, we all sort of like, I, th- I think our, uh, our kind of instinct is just to go back to, okay, six feet, you know, I mean, these are, you know, not so much masking, but certainly staying outside, all that stuff. Um, that's, that's definitely been woven into the culture. My wife went to see a doctor, another doctor in Boston a couple of days ago, and they both decided it would be best if they just ate outside. You know, it's just not an, it's not a thing that would have happened five years ago. You just, you just wouldn't have a discussion about why don't we eat outside as opposed to inside. It just wasn't, wasn't part of the regular debate, you know, but now it is. We folded that in. I didn't think it would go on this long. Um, you know, I can, I, I have this memory suddenly of um, when this first started to hit my wife asking me how, how long, how well, how long are we looking at here? And I said, I, I at least I would say a, at least a couple of months. And she goes a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Little did we know. <laughs> And, you know, now that every time there's a surge, I mean, there's one now, right, in certain parts of the country, um, you know, yeah, they're not putting the masking mandates back on because that got so politicized and turned into uh, huge, ugly politics. But all those other sort of instinctive things, the staying away from people. I mean, when when people invade your space, even get up within three or four feet, it's it can be unnerving. I've I've felt it. I mean, have you all? Do you, do you find yourself staying away more or less from people? It's, it's lessened. I have to admit for me, um, Mm -hmm. I I just assume that part of this current uptick, um, is being fueled by for better or worse people deciding that's it. We're going back to normal. I'm not going to do this anymore. I I think think if, I think if this strain had happened two years ago, it would be a blip. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. I think the vaccine changed everything. Um, I think uh, once we finally get a vaccine and people started feeling like, um, yeah, that they were protected and people were tired of it. And then I think it became a calculated risk that everyone decided to take. Um, and then, of course, we had, I don't even know how we even, you know, undo this Gordian knot of the effects that politics had on all of this. And we'll get into it. But there's no end to that. There's no <laughs> nothing there has resolved in any satisfactory way. It just seems to get more and more knotted. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that. But I think that for me personally, I have mostly gone back to doing things as I as I did. I will say that for 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 mask wearing, I look around and if there, if pe- if more people are wearing masks, I wear a mask. And if no one's wearing a mask, I figure what's the point. Yeah, I guess I'm there too. I mean, part of it is, is that if you're vaccinated, I think the my internal risk uh, sort of measurement is if if I do get it, um, everyone I know who's vaccinated and has gotten the disease has had the super mild case of it. So even if you, it's sort of like getting the flu, you know, or getting a cold now for people who are vaccinated, if you look at the numbers, the unvaccinated, it's still a, a, a kind of uh, a catastrophe in certain counties in the country, just because those people, when they get sick, they're, you know, they're being put on oxygen machines and, you know, living in tents and, and that kind of stuff. It's um, there's now, there is a division in how people are 
uh, experiencing the disease between vaccinated and unvaccinated. Um, yeah, but, but I do feel, I do, I feel very safe going into a hardware store, talking to people. I might not shake their hand, but I'm, I'm not going to act like, um, you know, it's the Andromeda strain out there. And that's, a, and that's the thing that going back through and listening to this from two years ago, it was very interesting to, to put, to um, revisit that moment of uncertainty when everything yeah. really came to a stop. And one of the first things that we noticed was how quiet it got. Now we're the virus, really, right? And, 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 and our retreat from the planet, um, just sitting still, right, has caused all of these massive beneficial side effects. Did you see that item that the pandas that in Hong Kong, they've been waiting for them to mate for 10 years. They haven't mated. And then they just did. And apparently the reason is, is because we just left them alone for two weeks. It's really this, this new quiet. Literally the earth is less seismically active that it's, right. it's quieted <laughs> down, which is no surprise. Right. But then the fact right. that that can register on a, on a, on a Richter scale is kind of amazing. Right. I feel like we got, that was such an interesting moment and now that feels that feels long like a long time ago because yeah. i don't, it does not feel quiet anymore i feel like we we've ramped back up but we're making all the noise again but you know that two week of period for the pandas it reminds me that there, there was this enormous impact also on marriages like mm-hmm. i know that um you know there were m- multiple divorces many divorces uh, burst out because people were suddenly forced to spend you know 24 hours a day with their mate and and that proved to be just catastrophic um <laughs> but for some of us i mean you know for me and lisa it was just like well we get to just play house more uh, we kind of had fun with it you know we were alone together a lot and we loved it and there were i know plenty of other people who felt like their marriages just went it went went into a much deeper and richer place uh because they were just kind of isolated you know you're like having a sleepover for a really long time with someone you kind of liked um <laughs> for a lot of other people though that wasn't the case <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't i don't know what the numbers are but uh there's a there's a whole clot of divorces and a whole clot of sort of like reaffirmed marriages that you could probably measure and, and, and see that, that, that it did have an effect on uh, family life. Did it, affect, did it affect anything with uh, you, Anson? Oh, it, I, we're definitely the latter. It, it, it deepened and enriched, enriched our marriage. Um, and as did, you know, the, the, the challenge of, of hosting other people, uh, mm-hmm. you, and, you and Sharon and, and a few others. And, you know, you got, <clears throat> you guys were up there with us for about five months. Mm-hmm. And, and I think just having that, that, uh, little community there and, and giving thanks over dinner every night and cooking together, it was, uh, it was a wonderful time. Um, yeah, we, we, we really, it's, I'm, I'm going to look back on that time with fondness. Yeah, that was that was an incredible, incredible experience. I mean, as far as Sharon and I, we 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 freelance from home. We always we've always lived kind of together in the same room, always, always. So that part of it wasn't different at all. But living up there with all of y'all, I felt, you know, 
yeah, so it was it was great. I felt much closer to absolutely everybody, but Anson. Um, now, the one thing that we had that changed was that this is a big one. Was changes to our work habits. How many people are working from home now? And after this is over, in whatever form, will find themselves um, happy to still work at home, and their managers will want them to work at home. If it's a if it's five, fifteen percent of the workforce decides not to commute, that has huge ripple effects down the road, right? In terms of you know commuting, you know oil consumption, you know, all that. There's a four-day work week movement that came out of New Zealand that's been kind of sweeping a lot of these businesses. And I, I wonder if this is going to just like, you know, speed up the process. Do we know the status of that, Jack? Do you know? Well, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a subreddit called Anti-Work and, and, and um, uh, I happen to read it from time to time and it's just full of these fights happening in these companies now something as big as apple they like staying at home they think their productivity rates are fine and uh like in some places that has been a fight but in a lot of places they've completely come to terms with the idea that you could you can work from home as you know as long as you have this defined set of tasks and defined set of you know job responsibilities and you pull it off there was some big company that just recently um kind of just shrugged when 800 workers said they were going to quit if they couldn't work from home and they did quit. And apparently it turns out that it may have been a maneuver by the company to just get rid of them. <laughs> so it's working both ways. <laughs> I think we called that one, right. Um, it has totally changed the, uh, the nature of the overall workforce and people are much more comfortable living the way I, I take it. The three of us do, which is that we, we are, you know, we work when we work and, um, and the idea of reporting somewhere nine to five, um, has, has, does not exist. Was the, is the work, sh is the worker shortage still happening? Cause I mean, we could see it in real time happening mm -hmm. around us. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, 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 uh, just seeing the people that we know in our area struggling to get workers, uh, finding people ourselves, fi finding, finding, uh, con contractors that had time and people enough to come and do things on, on the house. Just, you know, uh, w we were, we were left to just figure things out for ourselves, which is not entirely a bad thing. Right. Uh, but yeah, you could really feel it. Did, when did the great resignation begin? Well, it begins in the middle of the pandemic. And I mean, everyone says, and every, the economists who are studying it will say that the pandemic is what caused it, right? Um, there were just people who suddenly realized they didn't have to go back to work. Some of the economists with, with, with say that with, you know, the employment, unemployment rate so low that it allows people to a kind of bargain for, you know, stay at home work because there's just so few workers out there, um, especially in the service industry. I mean, you can... If you want to fire a waiter, go right ahead, <laughs> but you might never see another one. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it started in the middle of the pandemic, but when the pandemic first started, we were saying things like this. I've already seen people calling for parades for healthcare workers. Uh, that's such an interesting shift in priority. I'm seeing mm -hmm. a lot of people value things very differently than they were just three or four weeks ago. 
guess who's not helping us right now? The 1%, the billionaires. Like, maybe our fascination and hero worship of those people will be revealed to be what it is, just kind of a, a scam. No, I was in the grocery store the other day, and the guy uh, ahead of me in the line uh, turned to the cash register and thanked him for his service. That seems to be... You can you can feel it there, right? The this reevaluation of who is really important, and all the people that had all the money. Like, why are we working so hard to impress them? And uh, are they really these job creators and everything that we were told that they are? And I think it exposed. Yeah, I think I think people realize their worth. What would you think? In that clip, you were mentioning the hero worship of all of our healthcare workers. And I have to say, uh, you know, you certainly called it that that went away. Um, you know, if anything, for a, a huge chunk of the country, healthcare workers became almost the enemy because they kept, you know, um, arguing on behalf of taking these kind of safety precautions. Um, I've been in some parts of the country where um, angry voters are convinced that the healthcare industrial complex was in some ways complicit in the perpetuation of the pandemic. Um, uh, so, you know, the, the early on, you remember you would, you would come down the road and see signs that say, you know, we, we, you know, our heroes, you know, the healthcare worker that did not, that one didn't last. Um, yeah. Healthcare workers have kind of like gone back to, I have two nurses in my family and both of them are trying to get out of the, their own jobs now because wow. they find it, um, brutal, you know, you you care for a patient and they decline and die. And then the parents and then the relatives come in and scream at you as a murderer, you as the cause that, that takes its toll. You know, abortion doctors might be used to being screamed at when they leave the building, but your average nurse, they're not. And especially, you know, in the wake of being declared a hero and having, you know, you know, yellow ribbons tied to oak trees uh, here and there. Right. It was incredible how quickly we lost our, our patients. And then gets transformed by this kind of weird conspiratorial QAnon culture that has gripped, you know, 40 percent of the country uh, gets transmogrified into this absolute kind of hate. It's that's also part of this pandemic. Well, that I'm going to skip to um, this, which is exactly what we're what, what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> One of the big shifts is going to be how we, as a culture, use our various media platforms and outlets to understand what is really true from yeah. these experts. You know, our ability to shape the world around us to fit our prejudices is mm. phenomenal and probably not since the middle ages has there been um a better time to mold reality into superstition oh wow <laughs> that was i think you nailed that one jack that was <laughs> <laughs> like you said, the proliferation of these conspiracy theories is the weirdest stuff that I just could not have imagined that came out of that came out of this. It's 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 crazy.
Yeah, no, I, I think there is a, like I say, I have a third to a fourth, a uh, third to like, two, you know, 40% of the country now um, lives in a, in a variety of separate realities um, that are s- pretty much separated from the mainstream. I mean, you know, we have people running for Congress who will say, we, uh, I think Elise Stefanik, uh, who's a sitting member of Congress and one of the leaders of the Republican Party in Congress, said the other day that Democrats were uh, a, a, a ring of pedophile groomers. Normally you get that from some edgy wackos, but that kind of alternate reality and that kind of conspiratorial thinking has slipped right into sitting members of Congress now. Or at least they think that rhetoric will work for them. Mm-hmm. Well, the the, hor- the horses started to follow the cart in a, in a sense that, you know, what has allowed us as a species to gather together in groups as large as a nation is the ability to mythologize. You know, mm-hmm. we, we are great apes. And before <laughs> mythology, our groups were never as big as, say, 25. Until we started figuring out, oh, we can have the same gods, or oh, we can have the same king, or oh, we can have the same city-state, oh, we can have the same country. And with that is always a figurehead or a flag or a leadership under which there's any number of things that fit into the column beneath that. But now the column has started talking back through a thing (laughs) called social media. And so the figureheads aren't dictating what that column is or what needs to fit under the flag. They're trying to justify their positioning as leadership by reading the tea leaves of the, 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 you know, the, the scuttlebutt that's happening throughout the, this new form of communication. It's a, and it's a, it's, it's a whole it's a whole uh, re-reckoning, not just of uh, how we communicate or how we are, what our vision of ourselves is. It's a much bigger thing than that. It's a, it is changing top down to you know, the pyramid standing on its head now. Beautifully put. I mean, I totally agree. I, 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 am, I am astonished by how uh, often I am now finding myself talking to someone whose system of understanding the world is more mythological than kind of old school rational. Um, it's, uh, we always had a certain percentage of people. We kind of love to talk to them and talk about them because it was usually, you know, your, your grandpa or some odd person in your, in your city. Now it's a lot of people. They they have they have essentially unionized <laughs> and and formed uh, a, an enormous chunk of the body politic and um, and are now out and and about um, and and unashamed to say things that are crazy, right? That you know, uh, Hillary Clinton sucks the blood of infants to get to the uh, whatever that substances that grants you uh, immortality but rational otherwise rational people are actually saying that in public and a host of other things that's the other weird thing about the the mythological worlds now that that surround us is that there's a wide variety of them 
there and 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 while they can sort of come together and form a single unit around election time otherwise they're 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 wildly divided and and super differentiated um i'm working on a story right now for a magazine and um i'm sort of embedding myself with a militia group and it's um you know they have even inside the group there's this um an array of thoughts and 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 beliefs and faiths of of how the the mythological world that you're describing manifests itself um it's to me it's it's uh, it's a huge gulf trying to speak to them because because i speak in this sort of old world way of looking for evidence and you know it's kind of dull journalistic kind of semi-enlightenment practices a practice of trying to come to a logical conclusion it just seems kind of um you know, okay, boomer, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's like old, very old school. It's like I'm wandering around with my Victrola. You know? <laughs> well, you said something in the, I, I, I've lost the clip right now, mm-hmm. but you, I've been, I've been thinking about it for the last two years. The way you phrased it was precisely, you know, when people were coming up with, you know, how did this virus happen? You know, there's the basic mm-hmm. scientific, we thought agreed upon, Explanation, you know, probably Wuhan wet markets, all that stuff that makes perfect logical sense. And then mm-hmm. you said, uh, no, nobody believes it unless it's turned into a James Bond plot. And and I've been thinking about that for the last two years. People want, um, because a virus is random, um, people need to put some kind of control, insert the idea of control into all this randomness and it's somehow more um, pl- comforting to people to think, oh, no, it wasn't just biology and nature doing its thing. It was designed. Somebody's in charge. Somebody made this happen. And, and you can't fool me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course that <laughs> happened. The alternate theory did you know, explode on the scene about a year ago when um, there were suddenly these accusations that the that the experiment that the labs in Wuhan, who were trying to uh, where they were trying to study this disease as it appeared, were in fact deliberately or accidentally uh, letting the disease loose um, or had invented the disease and then had either deliberately or accidentally let it go. That's all since been debunked, but it doesn't matter there's now a good chunk of people who believe that um, it was in fact a bond movie that Dr. Evil, you know, this kind of Mike Myers character was somewhere, you know, letting this disease go. Um, and now you, you know, that, that those, those uh, conspiracy theories, once they get out of the barn, there's no dialing it back anymore. There used to be some ways that you could sort of in the media, you could sort of beat back a, a bad idea. Uh, now they just, they, you know, they just, um, they run riots and take root and either flourish or, you know, die on their own. There's no, when the mainstream media tries to step in and, you know, umpire, uh, truth versus myth, uh, they just get slapped aside or ignored, um, because of, you know, there's no trust anymore, um, in the body politic for, for journalists to be arbiters of anything other than uh, rank uh, hot takes, right? Opinions. F- fact checker has almost become a pejorative, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, one of the one of the things that we also talked about. I'm going to go through some of the more uh, clearer predictions that we tried to make. Uh, okay. One is this one right here. And I understand now that the the remaining drive-in movie theaters in the country are sold out. <laughs> like they're right. still See, operating. That, that's yeah. great. That's more fifties than I was anticipating. Well, and don't forget el- elbow gloves. Those are coming back too. You know, I mean, people are wearing gloves, but. Now they're thinking, well, I think I'll wear nice gloves. So that's also 1950s. So, so Jack, did the 1950s come back? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess I got that one really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I have not seen a pair of elbow gloves this entire time. <laughs> All right. And uh, here's another one. I think a newfound nervousness about being close to one another could lead to a an emptying out of the cities the people who can't escape the disease the people who have to work they're stuck in these cities i mean some people can you know afford to leave and you're right i mean maybe again you know it doesn't have to be everybody if even if it's five to ten percent of of you know of a metropolitan area moves out to the suburbs that's a massive massive shift so what happened? What? How are how are our cities doing compared to? Did, did we experience a big uh, drain in depopulation? I think I think Jack got it right by saying like those who could leave left, and those who couldn't couldn't. But what what? But but did we experience a net drop in city populations? I don't know, but the real estate market definitely shifted. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the everything that was within a driving distance, a commutable commutable driving distance of New York City, skyrocketed in value. Mm. And that, and that's still true, Anson. That's right. Um, the the I mean, as I understand it, the the wealthier towers in in Manhattan are still uh, unoccupied for the most part. The, those people haven't really come back to the city to live. Um, and I will know, I do know this because I'm married to a doctor who, of course, treats patients in hospitals. But like the people, the, the people that they are treating and have been treating for the last year or two since we first spoke um, were largely people who lived in, um, you know, lower middle class housing where they couldn't avoid someone in their own house who might have the disease. Whereas I think middle class and wealthier people had it easy where you could move out to places where it was it was you could comfortably still socialize and work without putting yourself at risk. Whereas uh, people on the lower edge of the of the economic system definitely were at much greater risk. And that, we got that right. Um, how 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 it whether it's permanently changed things. I mean, I think Anson, you know, is right that like in in New York, the real estate market has definitely been fundamentally altered. I don't know enough about like Cincinnati or San Francisco or LA to, to know if that, if it had a similar effect, but you know, I live on the outermost, you know, in New Haven, I live at the outermost edge of people who commute into New York. Right. And, um, the property values there have skyrocketed since the pandemic started and they still are super high. Yeah, my, my business has changed a bit. Film and TV actors are less tied to New York and Los Angeles now um, because right. so many of the auditions, I, I don't really audition that much anymore, so I'm, I'm not experienced in that. But I'm under, from my understanding is that uh, a, it is standard now to, ha- to hold Zoom audition sessions 
mm-hmm. you know, you're auditioning for something on camera. It's a camera. And the, the, the um, casting directors, directors, producers have gotten used to it. Uh, and so people are now able to live where they want to live for the most part, unless you're doing theater, of course. Well, speaking of theater, this was, uh, Jack, this was your question to Anson back in 2020. Hey, I wonder, Anson, do you think, um, I mean, you know, theater began as an outdoor business. And I just wonder, like, maybe the Delacorte in Central Park will have a resurgence, sort of like <laughs> the drive-in movie theaters. The thousands of dollars to fly their family to New York to stay in Times Square and pay hundreds of dollars per ticket for right. theater anymore. It's done. Is it done? <laughs> it's it's not it's not done, but theater certainly took a hit. Uh, a lot of theaters went out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big Broadway houses um, for the I believe they're all still open. So that one. Definitely did not get right. That's a big red X. Well, you also thought, you also mentioned uh, that there would be at least a temporary return back to Brechtian theater where it would just be really stripped down and people returning to the basics and the roots. I, I think we skipped that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. I was really going dystopian there. Huh? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I think the Broadway audiences that are showing up, just I, I think what it's shown us is just the strength of the bridge and tunnel crowd. I, I think the people that Anson was talking about, the people who flew in and spent hundreds of dollars and stayed in hotels next to Broadway shows, they're, they're still not back. But I'd, I'd say that the, the strength of the bridge and tunnel crowd was probably underestimated all these years. I, I think they're the ones who brought Broadway back. That's I don't know point. if it's Manhattanites coming in there. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. As, as a Manhattanite, of course, I don't consider the bridge and tunnel crowd. Um, uh, here's a prediction from Jack. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, you said something uh, on our phone call yesterday about this being a, something that might kickstart. Uh, we may be moving out of oil. This might be the, the hinge moment where I think we're now at about 20% wind and solar. But, you know, in, in five years, it may be a lot more. It's hard to tell on that. Well, I, I think we got that one right, except for the wrong reason. I mean, the pandemic may have started the shift out of oil somewhat, but really it's trying to screw Vladimir Putin mm-hmm. that has really driven people out of oil. Um, did you see that last week, California, all of its energy was produced by um, sustainable uh, sources? Yes. Yeah, I saw that. Right. And and Germany has accelerated their, you know, for the, they were the ones dragging their feet in Europe. And now they've just decided, oh, to hell with it. And they've cut off Russian oil and are, are moving just at breakneck speed to renewables. Unfortunately, I mean, for our predictions, it wasn't the pandemic that did that. It was it was this national unity or international unity to try to stop the war in Ukraine. Right. The one thing and, we did. Right. Right. The, 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 the thing we didn't predict, obviously, back in 2020 was uh, Putin you know, threatening World War Three. <laughs> um, that that threw a real wrench into everything, including our predictions about how the economy was going to recover, the speed of the recovery, you know, uh, especially the energy. Uh, it's right. very hard to tell. I will say that you 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 called you said that we were at about 20 percent 
um, in 2020. And it turns out we are still going at, I think at the predicted uh, rate of one adding a percentage of renewable energy per year. So 21% in um, uh, 22, sorry, in <laughs> 22% in 21 and then 23% in 22. But it's still going up, but you're right. It's hard to tell right now. The, there's too much, mu- the, the water is too muddy now. Um, it feels like in terms of, yeah. Yeah. And just other, other, other factors other than the pandemic, um, just definitely took over. Um, I mean, by cutting off Russian oil, it just drove up the price of fossil fuel. So all of a sudden the high cost of solar and wind, um, is competitive with fossil fuel. And that, that's going to allow people to, to shift over. Um, if fossil fuel drops tomorrow, we'll just go back to using fossil fuel fuel. Cause that's how humans are. We're, we're kind of despicable really. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting to that. We're getting to that. Yeah. Um, now here's here's one of the la- one of the one of the latter predictions. But who would get on a cruise ship now? I, I can't imagine any normal human who has lived through this is going to climb into the big petri dish of the Carnival Cruise Line. <laughs> but I think the Carnival Cruise Lines are going to be these big cruise ships are, are probably are finished. I, I agree with that. Turns out, okay. <laughs> Turns out, we got that way wrong. And the the lure of playing shuffleboard and drinking mai tais next to a casino slot machine is too great. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I just, I just, I just, I just read up on that before we got on uh, yesterday. Carnival announced it has relaunched its entire Carnival Cruise Line operations as well as eighty percent of its Princess Cruise operations. Yeah, you're right. We got that one wrong. We totally got that one wrong. I just talked to this guy, older guy. He has health problems. He goes, hey, he's my butcher. I just got back from a cruise, 10 days. And I was like, you went on a, I mean, I'm thinking this, you know, you went on a cruise, you can barely breathe. You almost have emphysema. You know, what are you doing going on a cruise? I wouldn't go on a cruise. I just, I, I do think it's a, but you know, there are other reasons why, you know, remember it, Cruises are where all of these diseases pop up. You know, Legionnaire's disease happened on these cruises, all going all the way back. You know, this is, it is a giant Petri dish. Um, and sure, maybe it's safe right now because of the vaccine and everything else. But I don't know. I still wouldn't get on a cruise. But then I'm not a big fan of shuffleboard. So, you know, right. it could be that too. Yeah, I wasn't going to get on a cruise before the pandemic. So nothing changed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now here's, this is, this was kind of funny. This is, uh, this is me making a prediction and y'all, the, the answer is already built in. Y'all call this one. <laughs> I just read something somewhere that, and I hope this is true. This might be a silver lining that we may start listening to experts again. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That, that's a big, that's a big thing. <laughs> Out of all the things that we've been talking about that are, you could be, that could very well be science fiction. That's the one that is the most <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Listening to experts. So, <laughs> <laughs> Y'all just laughed at me. <laughs> I think Anthony Fauci still has an entire security company working <laughs> for his family. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, that one. 
<laughs> that one is definitely that. That one's from one for the books. That was uh, way off. That was way, <laughs> way, way off. It got so much worse. And um, this is we're going to wrap it up here soon. Um, uh, and I have this little section here that I like to call. Did we learn anything from this experience? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this is one of Jack's, uh, there's a lot of contradictory stuff in this little montage. You'll listen to it. You hear what I mean? (laughs) Coronavirus has made it hard for the conspiracy theorists because the virus is hard. It it is a form of harsh, cold reality and doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really, uh, you can't really maw maw. The virus. I, I, I'm haunted by one of the first things that Brandon said, which is that, eh, we'll probably just go back to the way things were, you know. <laughs> and then, you know we're going to have to run this experiment three or four times before we get the essential meaning, right? Um, and that probably is the case. You know, I mean, half the country is going to say, see, it was all hype. We didn't have to social distance and hunker down, not realizing that that's why it wasn't as bad as it could have been. So, I, yes, it's true that we don't learn uh, clearly <laughs> demonstrated lessons very well. And mm-hmm. so, you know, maybe, maybe by midsummer we'll have enough herd immunity that the disease will just start to peter out. And then, and then of course, we'll, we'll learn nothing from it or we'll learn the wrong lesson from it and move forward and, and crank back up with our, uh, you know, our, our, <laughs> our rattled uh, earth surface. <laughs> Damn, Brandon, you called that one so good. (laughs) We definitely, oh man, wow. You know, yeah, I thought we would learn something, but the ability of the mythological crowd to maw maw this disease into it, it was nothing. We never had to wear masks. You know, it was all an, uh, an assault on our liberty. Wow. You definitely nailed that one. That could not have been more wrong. (laughs) <laughs> well that's that was that was funny i said that in the original recording i said that after i was feeling smug about my uh uh no 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 i got it backwards i in the original recording i said that and then i felt smug and then i made my prediction about uh we're gonna start listening to experts again and then y'all <laughs> laughed at me and y'all were right so, well, there is all this talk of, well, we're better prepared now for the next one. Like, no, we're not. I mean, maybe we are right now, but these things happen about every 50 years on a global scale and about every century on a national scale. There's no way. I bet you people in 1920 said we're better prepared now, and that lasted till probably about 1928. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and so... So listen to me, future people listening to this podcast. <laughs> Better get your shit together. <laughs> if it is, if the year is 2119, you better get ready. Uh, PPE and, uh, you know, make sure you got land somewhere and some chickens. And <laughs> it'll be all right. But... We tend to we forget very quickly. I mean, this is this this preparedness. It's not even going to last a generation. There's no way. Oh no. yeah, and I I think it could be much sooner than that. You know, I mean, um, you know, not to get all uh, global climate change again, but you know, these fractional de- degrees of climate change are allowing this 
fresh, uh, you know, kind of explosion of viruses um, that are traveling in new and interesting ways to new locations. Um, and if you remember, there were all these diseases in Africa. And I remember finally when you get to that, they were very slow to transmit. And then they got to Ebola. If you remember, like once you got Ebola, you had like 48 hours before you just like macerated into your cells, such structure bro broke down and you turned into a puddle. Um, you know, th there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a virus coming for us that would be aerosolized far more deadly. And of course we will just cockily walk into it like, ha ha, we had no <laughs> trouble with the COVID. So this yeah. one won't be a problem either. And then we'll be looking at, you know, a half a billion people dead in six months or something. And then that might sober us up, but you know what? Probably not. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yep. And uh, and I like to close on this theme of not learning anything from history. Uh, two years ago, Jack, you gave us a history lesson on Ignaz Simmelweis. Could you? Oh, sure. Yeah. The hand washer guy. Yeah. Yeah. Could you mm -hmm. give us a, a brief uh, uh, overview of, of who he was and what happened to him? Uh, so this is, this is a, this is a uh, you know, a, a, a lesson and an anecdote I learned from my wife, a doctor. But, uh, you know, and uh, I don't know exactly where Simmelweis was. I assume in Europe, but maybe America. Hungary. Um, Hungary. Hungary. Thank you. Um, but he uh, he noticed that um, women in the maternity ward were dying of certain disease that that he conjectured was coming from doctors who went straight from an operating room where they were operating on sick people and going right into childbirth and killing these people. So um, and in those days, um, you know, doctors wore their bloody gowns and it was kind of a you know, uh, I don't know if you played football in high school, but, you know, if you were the football player, who had all those green streaks on your clothes. You were the one who got tackled the most. And it was kind of a badge of courage. Or if you went to a, a, a southern college that forced you to wear gowns, if yours was torn up and covered in chalk marks, it was clear that you were really smart because you had lived in it for years. Right. And so doctors had the same thing, which is that the bloody gown was their marker of, you know, they had done all the real hard work. And so when Simmelweiss came in and said, look, I want you to wash your hands and change your clothes before you go from one ward to the next. They were like, absolutely not. Anyway, he enforced it. He created a new rule, forced it on everybody in the hospital. They put wash stations near every, you know, uh, ward. And um, it completely altered the disease makeup of the hospital. Like all these diseases disappeared or went way down. And then after he got fired... They just went back to doing the way the old, the old way and the diseases went back up and no one gave it to him. We don't <laughs> learn. Even, even experts, if you will, will not learn from history. We, we are really immune to reason. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you said, clearly demonstrated as well. Still doesn't matter. Yes. Solid proof that washing your hands worked for those doctors. And look, we all just agreed uh, a few minutes ago that this washing of our hands and keeping ourselves just slightly cleaner than we used to has had this enormous impact on all these other diseases. Just forget COVID for the minute, right? But colds and, you know, flu and everything else. Um, and yet we're going to forget that next year. Mm -hmm. um, but flu numbers and everything else will just be back to normal. And it's not just forgetting. It's the hostility towards right. these people who, towards Simmelweis, for example. And this is where I want to close with what happened to him. So he was going crazy because he, 
you know, had a breakthrough. It was clearly demonstrated and everyone hated it anyway. And so uh, from the Wikipedia, he turned every conversation to the topic of childbed fever. Uh, He wrote letters to prominent European obstetricians um, that were, quote, highly polemical and superlatively offensive, uh, denouncing his critics as irresponsible murderers and ignoramuses. Uh, he also called upon, uh, had a meeting um, with, uh, where he basically had a convention of, uh, of obstetricians where he would not let them leave the room until all have been converted to his theory. So he was an evangelist. He was extremely motivated by all of this, and uh, he wasn't getting anywhere. Uh, or they were, it was, or there was a lot of resistance to him. So he began to drink and uh, uh, go a bit crazy. He began to suffer from nervous complaints. Uh, he spent progressively more time away from his family, sometimes with a prostitute. Uh, his wife noticed changes in his sexual behavior. Uh, and finally, <laughs> this is kind of incredible. In 1865, Janos Balasa wrote a document referring Semmelweis to a mental institution. On the 30th of July, Ferdinand Ritter von Hebra lured him under the pretense of visiting one of Hebra's new institutes to a Viennese insane asylum. And Semmelweis surmised what was happening and tried to leave. He was severely beaten by guards, put in a straitjacket, confined to a darkened cell and somewhere was injured and developed gangrene on his hand. And that's how he died. (laughs) Wow. Anthony Fauci, you have been warned. Wow. (laughs) That Jack, you, you you stole my, you you stole my punchline. (laughs) That was, I was, I was going to say, Jack, I was, I was going to say, uh, Fauci got off easy. So far. Well, I think that security detail that Anson mentioned, I think that that might come in handy. It'll keep him out of the insane asylum, at least, you know? I yes. mean, good God. I had no idea that was the ending of that story. Yeah. I mean, he was, it, they just didn't like it. He was persecuted and lured to an insane asylum where they said, hey, come check out our new asylum. It's really great. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went back to killing babies with their dirty hands again. Yes, yes, yes. And you know how and you know how old he was when he died? No. Forty seven. Oh my god. Forty seven. He went he went insane trying to talk to um ignoramuses and imbeciles. And uh that's and it cost him his entire life. Wow. Wow, that well, I, I don't know if we're there yet, but we certainly it's certainly in some quarters. Um there are politicians who have called for Anthony Fauci to be executed. Yes. Right. And I don't know what to make out of all, all of that. It's incredibly sad on one hand. And on the other hand, it feels like, well, you know, it's just part of the course. <laughs> it kind of is. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We had so many optimistic and hopeful predictions in our original podcast. <laughs> Lesson learned for me. And I think all of us. That in the future, <laughs> I would just succumb to my normal dour pessimism and be absolutely correct in all of my predictions. Oh, that sounds like a great place to end this one. <laughs> Every, everyone, I hope you feel a lot better now. And uh, 
please tune into the well next time (laughs) where you will learn nothing. (laughs) We'll check back in another two years and see which of us is an insane asylum. I know. Yeah. Right. I actually do want to do this again in two years and see, or or do we need to, and do we have, have we learned from history and we just know that we can just replay this episode and it'll be accurate. (laughs) Well, let's just see how many of us are outside mental institutions in two years and see if we can reconvene. That's really the test. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I guess we'll end this with like, who's going away. There's one of the odds if if there's three of us here, who's, who's not going to make it. Who's going away? I don't know. After listening to how miserably I failed some of these predictions, I'm pretty much ready to commit myself. If if, if for nothing else, then for the peace and quiet, right, Jack? (laughs) Oh, man. All right, guys. This has great. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, Jack, for joining us. And uh, yeah, and we'll do it again in two years if we're all still here. Stay safe, you two. All right, buddy. You too. All right. Talk Bye-bye. to you. Bye-bye. 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 The Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Anson Mount and me, Brandon Edgens. Special thanks to our guest today, Jack Hitt, for pulling his truck over by the side of the road and chatting with us for a spell. It's just about the most southern thing he could have done. Theme music written by Jonathan Myberg and performed by me, Brandon Edgens. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>